Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Rapino gets the crossing. It's towards one. Welcome to Upfront, a brand new weekly women's football show here on Football Ramble Presents. I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. And I'm Chloe Morgan. We'll be here every Tuesday on the Football Ramble Presents feed with the biggest stories from around the women's game. We'll dive into the WSL every week, bring you the biggest news from women's football around the globe and talk to those at the cultural heartbeat of the game. Two. Signing it through, England's in. Goalkeeper gets it. Goal is open. Trick. The back lead. On today's show, there's another FA Cup final classic to look forward to in December as Chelsea and Arsenal won their respective semi finals this weekend. We're going to be recapping their 3 0 wins on each side of the WSL's defining rivalry. Elsewhere, England found out their opponents for the group stages of Euro 2022 and there are some familiar faces lining up against the Lionesses next summer. So let's get straight into it. Um, Last season's Women's FA Cup semi-finals, the amount of times I had to explain this to people when I was working on the weekend because they didn't understand why the semi-finals of the Women's FA Cup were being played in November. So I had to keep saying this is actually the 2020-2021 semi-finals. But we're getting there. We're getting there to completing last season's competition. Um, two big semi-finals. Let's start in Manchester. Manchester City nil, Chelsea three. Pretty one-sided affair, um, and a big win for Emma Hayes. What are your thoughts, team? I'm not overly surprised. I think with everything that's gone on with Man City season so far, I think Chelsea were definitely the favourites. Um, I I just don't know what's gone on at City. I'm not going to lie. I think. Um, they've struggled, I know, with injuries. That's something we keep on talking about. Uh, but at the same time, when you look at who they're lining up with and they're starting 11, you know, there are some top names there in that squad and it's just not working for them. Um, so for me, yeah, the 3-0 wasn't a massive surprise. I did think City played well in parts in the game. They just That first 20 minutes? Yeah. That first 20 minutes, they looked good. And then as soon as Taib made that mistake for the Cuthbert goal, it was just like heads dropped, mm-hmm. right? It felt like there was no coming back from that. And you just felt that energy on the pitch like it was game over. But I think you really have to look at the kind of stages of play before that mistake even happened. I think, you know, Man City just be, seemed to be stepping off and just allowing Chelsea to play. And if you look at some of how those goals were created, they start in the midfield and they're not just, obviously Tyre makes some very clear, obvious errors, but in the lead up to those errors, you know, you, you've got multiple mistakes being made across the field. Um, Man City aren't pressing. You've got balls being delivered into the box. You've got players who aren't sort of pressing their own players, tracking runs, allowing deliveries to get into those areas. So it was just um, it was just error after error, just leading up to mistakes. And I suppose as a as a City player, it can't 
fill you with a ton of confidence that they've got their third choice goalkeeper starting at the moment, Tybe. She makes two mistakes. She does make some good saves Mm -hmm. after the second goal, the Leopold's goal goes in. And then they've got what is now, what, a fifth choice goalkeeper who went on the bench, Grace Pilling, just turned 16, being promoted up from the Manchester City under-16s to go on the bench on Sunday. I mean, Chloe, when were you making your first kind of like senior football appearances? What age were you in terms of goalkeeping? Um, I think I was about 21, 22 or so. And I had to be 16 sitting on that bench. I mean, that's a fantastic experience for her. But at the same time, that doesn't fill the squad with a lot of confidence. No. And especially when your third choice keeper has gone out there and made two quite grave I was like, I was thinking at half time, can you imagine if this 16-year-old, I mean, she plays for England's under-17s, obviously a massively talented player. But I was thinking, can you imagine if Gary Taylor hooks off Taib and this 16 year old girl has to go in goal like for a that, semi-final so a in the semi-final FA Cup, of the FA Cup. Man City. <laughs> and like I completely think there is a reason to say to to have some sympathy for City and Taylor and say the injury issues are absurd mm-hmm. Roebuck Bardsley your best two keepers out Roebuck maybe a month away from coming back Lucy Bronze at least a month probably Steph Horton I don't know how Chloe many Kelly, weeks. Chloe Esme Kelly, Morgan. long-term, Esme Morgan. Long-term. I mean, it's it's crap. Mm. It's crap. But that being said, there are still some talented players in that team and it's not quite working with... You've got to make, you've got to make the most of what you've got, right? And it doesn't seem like they're doing that. Well, it's, it's interesting you said earlier about how their heads dropped after that first goal. And, you know, we're used to seeing Chelsea-Man City clashes. Epic football, epic ties, you know, comebacks, cracking goals... They should be looking at that. We're 1-0 down against Chelsea. We've been here before. We can definitely bring it back. And people were saying kind of 2-0 down, it's game over. And that's not something you're used to saying in a mm. Man City-Chelsea fixture. You never know when it's over until it's actually over. Um, so that was unusual to see. It's almost like that mentality or whatever's going on in the heads of the squad just doesn't seem to be there, that confidence. Um, and like we talk about some of the players that he just won't use, like Ruby Mace is sitting on the bench. The fact that he even brought an academy player onto the bench is amazing because mm. he doesn't yeah, seem he doesn't to, seem to <laughs> he like the academy that much. No. Um, so I think that's quite frustrating as well for fans and for those of us watching from the outside, wondering why a player of Ruby Mace's calibre is sitting on the bench when they're struggling for defenders. Yeah, and there's this whole issue about being cup-tied and it's frustrating that the whole issue with having a cup that's overlapped into a new season is you've got players who've moved clubs and are now cup-tied. And I completely get that. But then Gareth Taylor said he didn't even realise that they couldn't play once their team got knocked out. So he thought that Alana Kennedy would be able to play after Spurs got knocked out of the cup. But that's not the case. So it just seems like there's a bit of a lack of understanding there about the reality of the situation. And actually on paper, you still look at that squad and say... They could have pushed Chelsea a little bit more than they did. And that's why I think if you're a City fan, you'd be pretty miffed, right? Yeah. And you're also looking at this loss on top of their league, <laughs> on top of that as well. So yeah, Ruby Mace might have been cup-tied, but why hasn't she played yeah, any totally. other game in the season? And I think it's if this was a one-off fixture where they had, had players left out and they lost in this fashion, that'd be one thing. But you're looking at this through the lens of their league performance. So that just kind of adds to the frustration, I think. I think everyone just expected more from them um, for the entire season. I think, you know, when we were speaking previously about the kind of form that, that Man City are kind of used to displaying and, you know, given the calibre of players and the investment that's going into a team like that, I mean, even though you've got, you know, num- numerous injuries, you've got players who are cup-tied and things like that, you still have, you know, a, a cracking squad there. You've got the Whites, you've got Shaw, you've got Lasada, you've got Walsh, you've got Hemp. And it's and it's like, why aren't these players mm. really firing on all, on, on all cylinders? It doesn't seem to sort of, 
quite be um, cohesive enough at the moment. So I think he needs to get a, a, a bit of a grip of that and start focusing on the specific areas. Because yeah. for me, looking at some of those, uh, and mainly the set pieces, I think they seem to be quite weak on. You know, the balls that were being delivered in, you've got Cuthbert, you've got Leopold's being able to just take the ball down quite... Bags you know, of time. Bags mm. of time, two, three you know, seconds on the ball, which is too much for those players to have in the first place. You know, edge of the box edge of the you know the, the six yard and they're able to just take the ball down quite gracefully casually turn and, and take a shot and it's just that's just not acceptable and you can't be making errors and mistakes like that against a squad like Chelsea because they will capitalize and, and they do I would say as well under under Taylor they just look a little bit lost and confused that doesn't seem much of a plan obviously everyone knows how good Lauren Hemp is she's a very direct sort of player and she seems a little bit like the get out jail card at the moment it's like give the ball to Lauren Hemp and she will do something with it. She will run at players and she'll create opportunities. But then if you do what Chelsea did on Sunday and just reduce that threat that they did so well, well, then the backup plan is just like, oh, well, let's put put in a ball to White or Shaw, hope one of them brings it down and plays in the other. But they kept getting each other's way. They didn't seem to know what the plan was or what the movement on each other's space. It was it was all just so con- confusing. And um, on reflection now, a couple of days later, I've been thinking... Are it City's issues around the since Sam Mewis left? She was only there for a season on on sort of loan, weird situation from the States. But yeah, it just seems like they're a completely different side without her. What she brought them defensively and up front and the way she carried the ball, the presence that she was in the box on both sides of the pitch, they look like a completely different side now. Yeah, I'd agree. But I'd also say that City are too good a team with too many good players to rely on one player, one player or to have a get out of jail free. Totally. Jail and that's player, why I'm looking bizarre. at Gareth Taylor like, what is your plan? What's going I mean, on? We'll, we'll go, we've, got, we've got to talk about this three or four at the back situation, <laughs> which was all over Twitter on Sunday um, in Gareth Taylor's post-match Zoom. He was asked about uh, the change of formation at half time because... It looked as if City lined up in a 4-4-2 with Shaw and White up top. Uh, and uh, Amy Rushke from Goal asked Gareth about m- moving to a 4-3-3 after half time, taking Shaw off, bringing Jess Park on. And Gareth Taylor said, oh, well, actually, we were playing 3-4-3 and we moved to 4-3-3. Um, and there was a pretty puzzled look on most of the journalists' faces because... If you look at any of the footage, if you look at the way the players played in that first half, there were four players playing at the back. So there was some kind of communication that was lost in translation or the players were just doing what they wanted or whatever. But I think that sort of comment speaks of a manager who doesn't quite know what they're doing. In my opinion, I'm sure he's a talented coach. Old. But I don't (laughs) think he quite knows what he's doing at the moment. But it doesn't seem like he's going anywhere because... How bad can it get before City? You know, they've had their worst start ever to WSL season. So if they go in a second, they would have done it already. Yeah. So like, how bad is it going to get before they're like, maybe Gareth Taylor is not the right person for the job? I but think when you start seeing players coming back in, maybe. I think at the moment, they're yeah, very then he much has leaning, nothing to hide yeah, behind, right? You're leaning very much on the injuries. But I also don't think you can have this kind of propensity towards, okay, things are going really badly for a season. And Man City have been flying high for a very long time. And, you know, just because you do have a, a poor season, sometimes things don't gel, things don't come together. You know, we're just coming off the back of the pandemic as well. It affects all kinds of different things going on behind the scenes. And, you know, I think there's obviously this thing in, in men's football where, you know, as soon as there's a run or a spell of bad games, automatically it's they're sat, we bring in someone new and we start again. And it's, 
you know, I don't want to see that kind of thing creep into the women's game as much that, you know, just because there's a bad run of form, it doesn't mean that, I mean, they're going to have an uphill battle. I mean, them, them getting back into sort of, you know, the third, second spot in, in the WSL for the rest of the season is, is going to be a big push, probably impossible now. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I think, you know, I, I completely understand what you're saying about, you know, Gareth Taylor not being maybe in your favourite top managers of the season so far and, and understandably so. But, you know, I think you've got to ride it out sometimes. Sometimes you just go through bad forms. Um, so if it's still the case after Christmas, that that's, that's still continuing, then I think questions need to be asked for sure. If if it's still this bad with a fully fit team, then you seriously got to ask what's next. Because City will always coast through games against smaller teams. Like against Leicester on Sunday, they're probably going to win that game. Against Everton, Everton yeah, have struggled to patch together their new transfers. I mean, Willie Kirk being a case of, do you think it was too early for Everton to pull the trigger on that? Would you have given him a bit more time? I think I always like to give managers the benefit of the doubt a little mm. bit more. I, I, yeah, I just don't want to see that propensity towards, oh, okay, well, we're having a bit of a bad spell. You know, a few months, you know, things happen and then all of a sudden they're, they're kicked out and you have to start again because... You know, there is a lot of loyalty. If if they're good managers and they're good people and their squad respect them and there's a lot of, um, you know, good things going on behind the scenes, it doesn't necessarily mean that just because their performances aren't there that they should then be thrown out and thrown to the wolves. Um, but I do agree that, you know, these managers are now being paid an absolute shed ton of money. And, you know, with the big clubs, especially, you know, when you've got a name like Man City, you need to be pulling those performances because otherwise, you you know, the, the board are going to start asking questions about mm. things like that. So, um, yeah, but I agree. I think given the benefit of the doubt, whilst the... The fresh legs or the fresh legs come back, hopefully, from from their injuries. And then after that, if it's if it's still heading in one direction towards the bottom, then yeah, I think you're gonna have to cut cut ties. We've got to talk about Erin Cuthbert. Um she scored the first goal on Sunday. Um chatted to her after. She was full of beans as she always is, and there was a little bit of a a funny bit on the TV interview when uh, M Hayes was talking about um Erin eating Nando's on the bus home, and then Carly Telford put a picture up of of Erin Cuthbert enjoying Hernando's on the bus home. I just think she's a she's a brilliant character and a brilliant player. And I feel like we need more people like her. And it's great to see her having a really good season because last season with all the additions that Chelsea made, it was a quieter one for her coming off of a really good season the season before. So I, I, I'm really enjoying seeing her kind of as the main character again because she's exactly the sort of person we need. Like I was asking her about returning to Wembley since she went to the England-Scotland game during the Euros. And she was like, oh, I was so steamy, I can't even remember that. And that was like an interview that I played out on the radio. <laughs> she doesn't care. She She's just one of those people who like is so full of life and energy that I'm just loving seeing her playing so well. Yeah, you kind of see what she is on the pitch is kind of what she is off the pitch as well. Yeah. She's so lively. Um, I love it. I think, you know, Emma Hayes took a little while to figure out where all the pieces were fitting in her squad. And I think Erin Cuthbert was not one that we wanted to lose. Um, she is so, so vital down down the wings for um, Chelsea. So to see her now linking up with those front three or even the midfield there and finding herself in a kind of permanent spot there for Chelsea is brilliant because she, she's delivering for them week mm-hmm. in, week out. And you love to see that from a player who sometimes feels like they're on the cusp um, of greatness. Maybe that's too much. But I, <laughs> I, I do think that she has kind of found her form now. And uh, yeah, it's brilliant to see in, in every game as well. It's not just like playing teams lower down the league it's you know every game she's performing um and yeah I'm really pleased to see it because she's a really great character in the league but and I also in- think it's the, it's the personality aspect mm. of it as well I think 
you know, with the way the game is going, you're getting more, you know, there's more content, more, you know, digital online stuff going on. And, and what you want to see is, 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 you know, big characters. You want to see those WSL players stepping up and, you know, showing you a bit of personality, showing the character, showing you what they're about, a bit of humour, because that is also going to help sell the women's game, I think, having those bold faces sort of, you know, being great adverts for and role models for, you know, for younger girls. Absolutely. And from like the, a content perspective, um, you know, you're starting to see more kind of media management, understandably, in in clubs and at national level. And, you and it's don't, boring. It's, yeah, you it's don't really want boring. that. There's so many great characters in the game and you don't want people being stifled. You want to see those personalities. Yeah. We're not at a position yet where people know all the players in the game and know what they're about and know their history and their story and you need to give them kind of loosen the reins a little bit. And they'll have better careers for it as well because her showing that personality now will give her more opportunities in the long run, right? Because everyone knows you're not going to play football forever and in the women's game you're also not going to earn a whole ton of money. So it's really important to be able to create those opportunities. So her showing that now is brilliant. Um, We've got to talk about the narrative though because on paper what you would have wanted is an Arsenal-Chelsea final. We've got that. Um, it's a mouth-watering prospect, that. And we know how much Emma Hayes hates Arsenal, hates losing to Arsenal, lost at the Emirates. She's still fuming about that. She must be so psyched for this final. Yeah, I think so. And I think as well, in previous seasons, maybe you kind of knew Chelsea would edge it. Whereas now, like you're going into that, for me, it's it's really tough one to call. Um, not going to lie, it's one of my favourite fixtures. It always produces some unbelievable football. I still look back at, I think it was 2015 where Arsenal beat Chelsea. I think it was the semi-finals of the FA Cup, actually. 5-3 in extra time. Like, it's just one of those... The juicy- last cup final at Wembley was good as well, yeah. wasn't it? That 17-18 cup final where Chelsea won. Yeah. Ramona Backman scored. Worldies, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah really um, good game. But yeah, they always produce world-class games. Um, to have it at Wembley, I'm hoping for a big crowd. I'm hoping pull the finger out and do some some decent yeah. marketing and get the numbers in the door. That's probably one of my biggest concerns. I think it'll be huge. I think because, I mean, I've already seen the kind of emails flying around from the FA, get your tickets. And I think, you know, obviously because the, the last few games, like the last whole season was, was shown behind, well, it wasn't shown at all, it was behind closed doors. I think there's so much of a propensity now towards getting into, you know, big stadiums and, mm. and seeing these the, the women play. And, you know, when you kind of look at the fact that you've got, a, it's like a, it is a London derby with two absolute titans, you know, top of the league in the WSL. This is the kind of game that you want to see. And, and if you can't market this property uh, properly, you're going to have, you know, big issues marketing any other games because this is the one that, you know, everyone wants to watch. Everyone's so excited that the names in these games are, are huge. So, yeah, I'm hoping it should be an absolute sellout. I know that's bold very bold no I'm here for it <laughs> it should be that's what we should be aiming for though absolutely. in my opinion Kelly whips it into the near post oh what a shot fantastic finish Ellen White against her former club absolutely fantastic This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Rachel, Arsenal, you were there. Uh, for that game, the other semi-final, Arsenal beating Brighton three nil. Um, I thought Brighton did really well in the first half, actually. Yeah, so um, did I. I just Ar- Arsenal were peppering their goal, and they were defending like it was the last five minutes of the game, and it was still nil nil. Um, I was really impressed with them, but at the same time, you're kind of like, Ooh, can you keep that up for mm-hmm. ninety minutes? Um, but it was like bodies on the line, last ditch tackles, some great saves, um, and sometimes I think Arsenal of old that would have gotten into their heads that totally, they weren't putting those totally. chances away. So. Yeah, it was it was a great display from Brighton for the first half. But I think with the Arsenal we have now, I think you kind of knew they were going to break the deadlock. And once they did, it would maybe be kind of a game over situation. They'd bang a few more in. I, I completely agree. It was a result from Brighton, the dedication, the passion for doing everything they could to stop that ball going in the back of the net. And also, I think it was the patience from, from Arsenal, like you rightly said, was you know outstanding because you know they didn't f- concede their, didn't score their first goal until the 50th minute. So for Brighton to, you know, I think they were probably you know, the, the underdogs in, in that particular um, game. I think it was always expected that Arsenal were probably going to, to win that. But I think there were points that you thought, OK, maybe this could be going into, you know, extra time, penalties. Um, but yeah, as soon as that first goal went in, I think it was, uh, well, the floodgates opened and then it was the uh, the, Beth Mead, <laughs> the Beth Mead versus Brighton show. <laughs> um, before we touch on Beth Mead, I want to talk about Viv Miedemar because she was rested. She didn't, she didn't join up with Holland either. There was kind of an agreement that she would take a little bit of a break. And I feel like Jonas Odeval hasn't quite worked out how to get the best out of Viv at the moment. She's dropping quite deep and providing a lot for her teammates. But I don't think we've seen the best of her as a goal scorer yet. Uh, obviously, Arsenal have so much talent that it doesn't necessarily matter. But obviously, thinking ahead with her future, with her contract running out, like what's next for her? I don't know. I think Viv is looking pretty happy to me in the way that she's playing. Um, I think she played the first game with the Netherlands and then there was an agreement between Parsons and Idaval that she could come home early and right. be rested. I think maybe that says a lot about the relationship between player and manager. And Viv has always said that she prefers playing that number 10 role. She prefers setting up goals. Um, so it could be a case of 
a balancing act of keeping all of those attackers you have happy, but also keeping Viv happy in terms of doing what she enjoys doing. She always enjoys setting up goals. I know she loves scoring, but one of the things she always says is is providing for her teammates and doing what she needs to do so the team wins. For me, she just seems a lot happier this season, even if she's not banging in quite as many goals as she did last season. Yeah, and I think she's all right with that, to be totally honest. I mean, I don't know her, but just from (laughs) (laughs) I wish. Um just from like how it appears, she just seems a lot happier in in training and the way she's playing and um, you know, seeing other people be the star for a little bit. Do you think she's gonna sign a new contract? I hope so. I think from hearing her speak about Idaval and the way that they've been playing at Arsenal and the changes that have come in at Arsenal, um, it's going the right direction for kind of what she said she wanted in order to stay. Mm. Um, so yeah, I would. Li- I mean, obviously, I would like her to stay in the league because I think she's amazing. Mm. Um, but whether she will or not, I really There's don't know. Thing. Yeah. Um, Beth Mead doing yes. it again. She's just like a monster, a mentality monster at the moment. Um, this whole not being picked for Team GB thing, not being picked in Hegariza's first interim England squad as well. She's really taken that and just run with it as a motivator. How, as a player, like how do you, how would you feel if that happened to you? Do you feel like you're the kind of player who would take that on and run with it? I mean, I personally, it would make me feel like crap and I'd find it hard to then like level up based on it. But that's quite something to take that and, and go where she's gone. From my own experiences of, of being in a situation like that, I mean, you know, when we got promoted uh, when I was with Spurs um, in the 2019, 2020 season, and that was phenomenal. I was, you know, first choice keeper, played all these games, felt absolutely buzzing on top of the world. And, you know, then you go into the WSL for our first season and all I wanted to do was get WSL experience and, you know, I was so disappointed because obviously they brought in a whole raft of WSL players to mm. be able to then compete and, you know, get an experience, which was absolutely the right thing to do. But then I found myself, you know, sitting on the bench for large portions of the season. And, you know, that's really disappointing and upsetting as a as a player to go from, you know, feeling like the golden child almost on top of the world to feeling like, OK, well, now I'm not good enough and now I'm having to find my space back again. So, you know, it's difficult. But at the same time, you've still got to pull those performances out because you're a professional player and that's what you're paid to do. So, you know, the mentality and as an experienced and older player, I think is a case of you have to get back on the wagon and you have to just go and do your job and you ride out the bad waves because good waves will come again. So, but it is harder. It's harder for younger players. It's quite the December for Arsenal because they've got cup final on the 5th at Wembley and then game against Barcelona on the 9th at the Emirates. Um, both massive occasions, both will be really good games, but I think Arsenal perhaps and maybe this is the same for Chelsea as well actually when we've seen those two sides play in Europe this season we're sort of really maybe seeing that that there is a, still a gap to be bridged between the WSL and some of the teams in Europe because I think always selfishly or arrogantly or whatever in England you always think our oh, best league in the world and it's, it's how it depends how you measure best league yeah, yeah it's very competitively WSL which is great but actually, from what we've seen of WSL sides in Europe this season, Chelsea struggled against Wolfsburg. Arsenal got blown away by Barcelona. Fully expect them it to happen probably again at the Emirates too. Like where, where, where do they find this another level? Is it going to be after a few seasons with Adeval, this Arsenal team could match the likes of Barcelona? Or is it actually going to be a long time before they can start to compete with some of these teams? I think experience in those matches will definitely help. My frustration with Chelsea is I feel like Chelsea haven't played their best Chelsea when they've been in Europe. 
So you know that they have another level, and that's what I find Making quite frustrating. Making like ridiculous mistakes, bizarre, yeah. like totally like even having, in the final, like yeah. the mistakes that they made then set them back so much. It was like there was no way back. Yeah, right? and what was frustrating is we'd seen some amazing performances from Chelsea, you know, and then to go and play like that. So for me, I think experience will be quite important there. For Arsenal with Barcelona, first of all. Don't try and play football against Barcelona. Don't try and beat Barcelona at their mm. own game. And I think Arsenal kind of tried to do that. They're a bit naive. Yeah, they? do what you're good at. You've got Leah Williamson, one of the best passers of the ball. You've got the likes of Beth Mead and Viv who can run onto absolutely everything. It may not be the prettiest, but it's the only Keep way you're going to... Yeah, it's the only way you're going to, you know, have any chance against a team like Barcelona who are without doubt the best team in the world at the moment. Mm. Um, so yeah, I definitely think there is a level between the WSL and Europe and I think there's a bit of a an attitude that we're going around telling everyone we're the best and the WSL is the best and better than you. But I think you're right in terms of how you define the best. We're mm. not saying we have the best teams in the world. No. But the league is one it's of the best in the world because it's so competitive and you've got the likes of Man City sitting ninth in the league. Like, what the hell? Mm. So... That's what we're talking about when we say the best, but that doesn't mean we have the best teams in the world because Barcelona are without doubt that. So last week, Euro 2022 draw. Um, Very exciting stuff in Manchester. Rachel, you were there? No. I was in a spa. Oh, lovely. In wow. Harrogate, yes. Ooh, um, wow, jealous. So I, one of the most important nights of football for England, you know, in, in England. And uh, I spent it in a spa, but Sophie was there covering right. it for goals in the ball. Don't <laughs> yes, worry, I, did I did not I totally did her, shirk yeah. my responsibilities. But, um, um, but yeah, it was a fun, it was a fun day. They rolled out the red carpet. It was, yeah, it was glam. Um, Ellie Golding did some lip syncing, not Super. very what, um, convincing. How did you not did you hear not that? Did you not get the memo? What? No, Ellie and Ella? I didn't even get an invite. Uh, yeah. Oh. Oh, um, yeah, Ellie, but I mean, Ellie Golding did some really dodgy lip syncing and then like said about two words on stage about how excited she was to be there, which I didn't really believe. But um, Ella so Henderson... listen to this. Ella, uh, yeah, she, I mean, she's a huge Ramble fan. Um, <laughs> she's our next guest. <laughs> oh, God, can you imagine? Um, but Ella Henderson was happen. great. She had a brilliant, um, she had a brilliant, very good. Um, she had a brilliant outfit and she yeah brought good vibes. And I think she is like genuinely psyched for the tournament. So I kind of believe that a little bit more. But aside from the pop performances... A draw did actually happen uh, in which England were drawn against Northern Ireland in Group A, which... I would have put my house on that happening. I think is great. It's great for Northern Ireland and it's very good for England because England's group, that whole group, Norway, Australia, Northern Ireland, England, is a pretty easy group in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. For, for either side, it gives Northern Ireland the best chance of, of getting Of the out. groups to get. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. Norway will be tough, but um, of the groups to get, yes. Uh, looks out there, big time. Yeah. yeah. But I, I just don't want to be too... Well, also, I'm... I suppose well, you could look at that and say they're going to be playing, aside from Group B, the group of death. Oh God, Germany, Spain, Denmark and Finland. So England will end up playing either, if they finish top, they'll play the runner-up. If they finish runner-up in that group, they'll play the top. So either top or runner-up of Group B is a hard quarterfinal. Yeah. That's going to be, whatever happens, it's going to be tough. I just, you know, in these situations, it always seems to happen where England drew Scotland. Like, you just know this is going to happen, whatever mm. the footballing gods are doing up there. I don't know. But um, it will make for a fun game. And I really hope the Northern Ireland fans will travel. I'm sure they will. 
um, it's not far for them first tournament like I yeah, just think they I, can I really bring so. vibes I, I thought there was a good amount of, of Northern Ireland fans at the Wembley match I maybe wanted a little bit more but there was a good there was a good group listen we struggled apparently to get fans there so I think it's it's alright that Northern Ireland didn't have absolutely <laughs> yeah, loads I mean, um, I mean it wasn't like the most um, incredible memorable atmosphere of all time but they have been selling out games back home there's huge interest so you'd like to think by the summer they would have been able to build yeah. some momentum and there'll be like a good crew following them around because it's just like such a fun way to spend your summer, right? Just like going around England in fingers crossed, decent weather, watching women's football, very affordable tickets as well. First time they've ever qualified for a major tournament. Like it's going to be so much fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to seeing their fans. I'm also looking forward to the Dutch fans. I just think yeah, they're always good. Unbelievable. Yeah. I was trying to work out, right, because you know the Dutch fans always kind of like occupy a town centre and then like make their way from there. Like, good luck. Just make it orange. How, yeah, how, how are they, they going to do that in like Milton Keynes? I don't know. Because <laughs> the stadium, I'm pretty sure the MK Stadium is like, off a dual carriageway or so Lee? like safety yeah Lee Lee like what they're going to march through Wigan I don't know it's going to take them about what? six hours yeah. to walk from Manchester like, to Lee I don't know how like, they're going to do it they're, logistically it's, it's not ideal whereas during the World Cup in France like the French did so well because it was really good stadiums like in almost the heart of the city the only one Lyon was a bit sort of kind of out in the middle of nowhere but a lot of them were really kind of in good areas where you can kind of really build some atmosphere and I'm just really intrigued to see where the Dutch fans decide to sort of set up base well it all depends on the fan zones Sheffield would be good because they're big beer drinkers down the canal in Sheffield there's some (laughs) canals they love those yeah Perfect, and then they're out by Bramwell Lane, which I don't think is far from one of those canals. But yeah. so that'll be that'll be the Sheffield games semi final, one of the one of the semi finals at Bramwell Lane. That'll be the one to really you know have a good fun experience with the Holland fans. So we just have to get Holland there somehow. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> See what we can do. Um, but England in general, outside of the draw, obviously it's a uh, it's an exciting exciting summer for English football. Um, but we've got to look at England specifically in the captaincy because it's something that's come up a little bit. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, a lot of people asking Serena Vigman about it. Leah Williamson has been given the armband for the last two camps as Steph Horton is injured. Serena Vigman sort of hinted that Lucy Bronze will get a look in, as will Steph Horton when she's back fit. Steph Horton may not start a lot of games because she's kind of leaning towards no longer being the go-to centre-back partnership alongside Millie Bright. So what next for this England captaincy? Who would you guys like to see wear the armbands? I mean, I think it's been a fantastic opportunity for Leah, even if she doesn't end up with the captaincy. It's just, you know, she's 24. Um, you know, she's been having a, a great spell at Arsenal. She's obviously, you know, famous worldwide. She's, you know, a bit of a kind of a face of women's football. And, um, you know, that, that's been a massive opportunity for her. But at the same time, I think because she is only 24, um, my only concerns are that maybe there's not enough age and experience mm. there um, and that Lucy Bonds does probably look as if she might be more of a favourite um, but at the same time I mean she's led you know every time she's captained with with one um, but at the same time <laughs> <laughs> speaking speaking on the sort of the other side of the fence with one because there have been games that we should be really winning mm. they're not real tests so I think you know to really get maybe a, a good judge of the captaincy you really need to be into a situation where you're captain of the squad in a really tough testing battle. situation yeah and i don't think we've seen that yet so um yeah rachel your pick for me i would pick lee williamson i would just go for it now for a younger age captain you've got some big tournaments coming up i, t- I agree with what you're saying in terms of experience with england but when you look at her experience at arsenal 
Um, she is Arsenal through and through. Her mentality is insane. Even after games where they've like dominated one, she's the one still standing there talking to the coach, talking to other players about tactics, what could have been done better. Um, you know, I think she has a lot of respect within the game. I think a lot of players think she's got a really great mentality, gets on with a lot of people. For me, she's a born leader and I think she will be England captain at some point. Whether it's now, I don't know, but I, I'd love to see it. Obviously, Lucy Bronze is a super choice as well. Um, yeah, I think, look, I think Steph's been England captain for, what, seven years or so? And so she's 33 now, so that would mean she was, quick maths, 26. 26 when she got the armband. So a little bit older, mm-hmm. a little bit older than Leah. I also think what's interesting, because I asked Lucy Bronze at the draw about the captaincy, and obviously, like, you, you know, she might want to play it down, but honestly, she couldn't have been less bothered about it. She was like, you know, it's something I've never really thought of. If it happened, it'd be great. But I really, you know, not that bothered, essentially, is what she said. Whereas, obviously, Leah is like, this is a dream come true. It's the stuff of dreams. It's what everyone wants to do. Like, she's very sort of like of that national team club mentality where like being captain is everything. And what I find funny is like they're kind of polar opposites right now in that. And it would be interesting to give it to the player who's seemingly not that bothered about it and not give it to the player who like this is their heart and soul. Yeah, I feel like Leah would probably take it well, you know, professionally like she is. um, Probably because I think she will eventually be um, England captain. But I think you're you're so right. She's like all in. Whatever she's doing with football, she's all in, you know, heart and soul. She's like that at Arsenal. She's Arsenal through and through. She is England through and through. Um, yeah, it's a it's a big decision for Serena. She's done it before. She dropped their captain during the home Euros um, and gave the armband to somebody else. So, you know, I don't think she'll make it too emotional of a decision. I think she'll she'll make it based you know what's right for the team. I don't think she'll be. T- she might not look at that kind of heart and soul kind of side of Leah. She might just look at what's what's best. And if that's Lucy, I think she'll still do a great job. That's yeah. what I like about Serena Vigman as, as well, actually, is she's quite cutthroat. Love it. Like when you look at the England camps that have happened uh, under her already, she has not played Katie Zellum once. Katie Zellum is still yet to have an England cap. And in those games that they've played, those qualifiers, she could have given Zellum a pity cap. Like just bring her on the pitch for 20 minutes and give her a cap. But no. She wants to see the best England side she can in the lead up to the Euros. And I know for a lot of people that's a bit brutal. She's but actually, I love that. I'm like, yeah, she's only got eight, nine months. Mm. Like, she's got to work this out. She's got to drag this team who are just perennial losers into winners. And you can't be handing out pity caps in order to do that. Jess Carter hasn't gotten the pitch either. Like, plenty of players she's called in and haven't got a look in. And I kind of like that. But if you were a player, Chloe, would you be a little bit cheesed off? Uh, no, not necessarily. I think I think you're completely right. I think it comes down to professionalism again. That you've got to understand that you know you've got to take that sacrifice. Sometimes you just being a part of the squad is a privilege mm. enough. And if it's not the right time, it's not the right time. And if you've got players who are performing better than you, then they rightly deserve that position on the pitch. And it might not be your time now, but it might be next season or the season after that. So I don't necessarily think that you'd be a bit miffed off personally because you you know you, you, there's always going to be that frustration there. But at the same time, I think you know. Serena deserves a lot of respect and I think she gets a lot of respect from the players. So I think as long as she's communicating those decisions to the players in the right way and making sure that they're, um, you know, they're, they're, they're managed in the right way, um, I think that I don't see there, there should be any issues really. Um, and what you said there as well about the fact that she's got a, a Euros now in eight, nine months time, when you look at it from her perspective, she's been brought in having won a home Euros 
to essentially win a home Euros mm. in the space of, space of eight or nine months. She doesn't have time for sentimentality. Yeah. She needs to be ruthless and that is absolutely what she is in every game when they come out of 10-0 wins she wanted to score more yeah you know so that's great we need that kind of that mentality in the England team at the moment I think and it goes full circle to what we were talking about previously you know you know Gareth Taylor's had a bit of a shocking season people don't have time to recover because there's already questions being asked if there's any bad performance are they going to go do we need to get someone else in so you know she's right to be ruthless because essentially she has to be ruthless otherwise her job could potentially be on the line so you know you've got to do what's best for the the national squad and I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Um, WSL returns this weekend. Rachel, where are you going to be? What's your plans? That's a great question. Um, We're doing five games in four days. So um, we're trying to anyway. So we've got Villa Chelsea, Everton, Reading. Oh God, I have to remember who I'm going to see. Uh, And then we're each doing one on Sunday and then Coventry on Monday. Nice. Um, Chloe, you've got a game, right? Uh, Yeah, so I think we've got Durham away this weekend, which should be a good game. They're top of the league at the moment. They've always... I mean, they've been sort of in and around the top three now for, you know, three, four seasons, but they've never quite managed to get into, into WSL. They've always been peaked at, at the last post. Um, but yeah, they're absolutely a battle. It's, it's going to be a battle. Um, you know, they've got a very experienced squad. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a toughie. And I am at the King Power to watch my good friend Gareth Taylor play Lovely. Leicester City. So I I'll will, see you there. I will be intrigued to see how they bounce back from that because Leicester, Leicester have not shown kind of how good they potentially could be. They've struggled. Um, and so Man City have to blow them away to just build yeah. some confidence. So I am intrigued. Uh, and one more thing, I'm actually going to Everton Brighton because uh, it's not Reading before anyone tweets in. Um, <laughs> and I'm also Reading's bad luck charm. So I need to avoid their games because of the four, I think I've been to four of their five games and they've lost all of them except Ooh, the one no. I've been at. So, Kelly must Kelly Chambers must hate you. Yeah, so I'm I'm not I'm that Sophie can do that this week. I'm, I'm gonna <laughs> Perfect. Um well that's all we've got time for for today's episode of Upfront on Football Ramble Presents. If you've got any questions, like Rachel says, do not tweet us, do not at us. Tweet at Football Ramble. Uh, no, you can tweet us, but you know, just leave your leave your uh, anti-reading agendas at home. Uh, but we will see you next week for another episode. Football Ramble Presents is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.